You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Welcome back to our participants for our uh, gospel reflection for the Byzantine lectionary, which uh, presents to us a theme which is central or say most important foundational to Christ's entire ministry. And it is, is always good to return to this theme, which is, is, is the fact that Christ's ministry is, is very simple, to come to save us from death, which is separation from God, and to give us the possibility of newness of life. We uh, enter into this theme deeply, uh, seeing the results of death and sin and separation from God, and also the possibility, uh, as St. Paul experienced, of that newness of life that we gain through holy baptism. So let's jump right in here to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. The Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Gospel of Luke chapter 8, verse 27 through 39. At that time when Jesus came to the country of the Gerasenes, there met him a certain man who for a long time was possessed by a devil and wore no clothes and lived in the tombs, not in a house. And when Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, son of the most high God? I pray thee, do not torment me. For he was charging the unclean spirit to go forth from the man. For many times did laid hold of him, and he was bound with chains and fetters and kept under guard. But he would break the bonds asunder and be driven by the devil into the desert. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils had entered into him. And they entreated him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was there, feeding on the mountainside. And they kept entreating him to give him to give them leave to enter into them. And he gave them leave. And the devils came out from the man and entered into the swine. And the herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and were drowned. And when the swine herds saw what had happened, they fled and reported it to the town and in the country. And people came out to see what had happened. And they and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the devils had gone out sitting at his feet, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those also who had seen it reported to them how he had been saved from legion. And all the people of the Gerasene district besought him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into a boat and went back. But the man from whom the devils had gone out prayed him that he might remain with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thy house and tell all that God has done for thee. And he departed, proclaiming throughout the whole town all that Jesus 
had done for him. Father, help us uh, jump right into the text here in the midst of the Gospel of Luke. Where exactly does this story fit in to Jesus' Galilean ministry? This is in the latter part of Jesus' ministry. We're not quite at the end yet, but we're coming close to it just to see how close we are. It's in it's in um, uh, chapter 9 that we're going to hear about the transfiguration, which is part of the next half of the gospel. That's the movement uh, toward Jerusalem. So we're coming to the end here of, Je- of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. You know... Um, I, I gave a whole series of talks once called Driving Out Demons because this, this idea of Jesus's encounter with the demons and, uh, uh, is, and, and death itself is so critically fundamental to his ministry. In fact, he, you'll remember in the uh, synagogue in Capernaum where we visited so many times, that's the first thing Jesus did when he went to Capernaum is he went into the synagogue, he met the demoniac, drove out the demon, Uh, Here he crosses the Sea of Galilee and again meets those who are oppressed by a foreign power under the dominion of the devil himself. And Jesus does something very interesting. It It says, and he asked him, saying, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils had entered into him. Which one of you would comment for a moment on this identification of the name of the demon uh, and its purpose in the gospel, the purpose in Jesus' ministry to this man. Sure. The uh, naming, having someone's name in the ancient world is to have control or power over them. It's very natural. We, like in, uh, you know, if you think of a crowd of people and there's some, one individual you want to get their attention, if you don't know their name, how are you going to get the attention of that one particular individual? But if you get a crowd of 100 people there and one guy's name is Bob, a friend of yours in the crowd. And you say, Bob, he'll turn around. Hey, Bob, come here. And he'll turn around and come to you. So the, having someone's name is, is just in a very natural experience. We know to have some sort of control or ability to direct someone. And so uh, in the Bible, we find naming also in that same sense when Adam names the animals. That's the first time we see that, showing that, that Adam is above the animals. He is not to be to th- think of himself as an equal to the animals or the animals above him, lest he worship them. So uh, throughout you know, the Bible, we think of you know, when, when people get captured, like the Israelites are captured and taken off to Babylon, and then the king of Babylon names the individuals in his palace. They're taken in Daniel and his three friends to name, to have control over. So in, uh, in the ancient world also among, even among the pagans, they understood this and they thought that if you had the right name of a God, if you knew the name, a special secret name of a God, you could actually control them as well. This all goes back to that same idea. When I said of calling to the guy in the crowd, you, you have a, some sort of control over them. You can direct their attention, if nothing else. We find also in exorcisms, which is what we're seeing here. This is the first Christian exorcisms. Jesus is doing this. And even unto today, exorcists, if one of the things they do is they ask the demon their name. And now they've got the name of that demon. And now they, they have some direction over them and some control. Uh, and then, of course, the exorcism proceeds. And so... Uh, this is what we're seeing here. Jesus asked their name. 
the result of this whole the the story itself seems to you know be fairly uh, there's not a, a terrible amount to say about it as far as what happened happened. Jesus encounters this 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 boy who's under the control of the evil one. Uh, he frees him from that dominion, but then a strange thing happens. At least it seems strange to us reading maybe at a distance, unaware of the, uh, the, the political, the social situation, you would expect that those who saw this take place would have rejoiced that this young man had been freed and returned to society. They probably knew him quite well in the town. And now he had returned to uh, the arms of his father. And, uh, and yet... They reject him and they ask him to leave. Why is that that they would have done that? I guess a related note is, what are these guys doing raising pigs in the first place? I thought the Jews weren't allowed to raise pigs and eat pork. So it's, uh, it, is, it is a bit of a mystery. It certainly is shocking. I think when we read the story, we would expect them to say, please stay with us. Like in John's gospel, when Jesus goes to the Samaritans, they ask him to stay with him them for and a couple he stays for a couple days and finally says, Okay, I gotta go, I gotta go, and he moves on. So, but here they actually ask him, get back in your boat and get out of here. So what's going on? It a couple of different possibilities. One would be out of just simple awe for the whole thing. You know, in it's in Luke's gospel that we hear Peter say when an early encounter with Jesus. Uh, with the, multiple, with the uh, catching of the, the, the many fish, Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's in Luke's gospel. So we can see it in that light. That's a possibility. But there are a couple other options that most people usually take here, and that is, one, this is Gentile land. Jesus has just come across the lake to the east side, and the east side is Gentile territory. This is the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so here you've got a Jew with his Jewish fisherman buddies in a boat coming over to Gentile land and apparently messing the situation up a bit. We, we look at it, we say, wow, beautiful. This guy was healed. He's been exercised. The team has been cast out and a bunch of swine is a sign of that's gone back into the lake. And great. And from a Jewish perspective, this is a, certainly a cleansing experience. He's cleansed the man of the demons. He's cleansed the, the land of, of the, the, the unclean animals, which are a physical representation, a certain sense of what these demons were like. But so then why do they react in this way? Well, these are Gentiles. These aren't Jews who would see it from that cleansing perspective. And so there's two possibilities there then. The... Uh, Jesus has just destroyed their economy. Uh, this village, these are the swine herds, plural. The, the herders of the swine were out there with multiple uh, you know, flocks or uh, herds of these swine, and then they all rushed into the sea. The people of the village that are relying upon these, these swine for their economy, they're selling these animals and eating them, everything just was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Their economy just crashed. And so one possibility is, is Jesus is uncomfortable. Jesus is uncomfortable. His presence is uncomfortable for them because he has just destroyed their material well-being. At least they think so. And so get out of here. You're a troublemaker. Get out, get out of here. 
And then a, a, another possibility is related to that is these are Gentiles and they're Gentiles, they're pagans. And so Jesus has also just certainly made a mess of their religious situation. St. Paul says that what the pagans worship are demons. The pagans worship demons. This is, you can, he gets this from the book of Exodus and from the wisdom literature. And then also and he states this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, he says, this is what they do. When you go to a pagan temple and you see an idol of Zeus or Venus or whatever, those may be no gods, as he says in other places. These are not gods. You're right. But they are demons. These are, there are demonic personalities behind each one of these pagan images. And when you go into that temple thinking, oh, no big deal, as a Christian thing, I can walk into the temple of Zeus because I know, I know that Zeus is no God. He says, well, you're right. Zeus is no God. And so you should not fear Zeus as a God, but you don't want to be eating the food that's been offered to Zeus as tasty as it might be. They had, they were like restaurants in the ancient world because Zeus is a demon. And if you eat meat that's been offered to Zeus, then you're participating in a sacrifice to a demonic personality. And that is something you don't want to be participating in. I think certainly there's a, maybe a message even for our a, yeah. festivities of America here. A, a, I think a very deep and timely message. You know, I was um, just looking at this gospel. And if we just look at w the way this uh, situation is described, it says for many times it, the, the demon had laid hold of him. And he was bound with chains and fetters and kept under a guard. But he would break the bonds asunder and be driven by the devil into the desert. You know, um, we, we, I think also oftentimes we're reading these gospel passages, and I've said this before, we just kind of like become on this, this kind of comatose, you know, Bible words. This is a, this is a real person, uh, this boy here, who's been taken away from his family. And we see in a very physical, very tangible way, the result of sin, what uh, separation from God looks like, what uh, evil looks like very much. The guy's living, if you will, if you can call it living, in the tombs. He's living among the dead. Um, and as you said, how, how appropriate this is, how timely this is today. I was, I was reading some of the church fathers in preparation for our time together, and, and Cyril of Alexandria says, In great misery and nakedness, he wandered among the graves of the dead. He was in utter wretchedness, leading a disgraceful life. He was a proof of the cruelty of the demons and a plain demonstration of their impurity. Whoever they possess and subject to their power at once they make him an example of great misery, deprived of every blessing, destitute of all sobriety, and entirely depri deprived uh, even of reason. And, you know, I, you mentioned, and I just said that it's how timely this is, because in a few days, a couple of weeks, uh, our society in, in America will engage in this kind of Western so-called festival, Halloween we see all over the place now in the stores and so forth of these you know goblins and 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 demons if you will that are hanging from the stores and, and so and we go 
and we take our children and we go and say it's okay for them to play around and even get dressed up like the children of the demons. How far this is from Christianity. Christ has come to confront death, uh, as we saw recently in the, in the beautiful gospel of the raising of the, the widow's son, the, the boy that had died there in the city of Nain. Jesus has come to confront death, to destroy its power, to drive out this demon from this man and give him the possibility of a newness of life. And this, this, this is the whole purpose why Jesus came. And yet, so many of our families, so sadly, go and kind of play around. And you say, Father, okay, you're, you're, it's all right. One day they go and they have fun. They knock and they trick or treat and they get the candy. Do you see what we associate? I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit away from the text now and maybe a little further than we normally go in our, in our gospel reflection. But I think it's, it's appropriate in this case. It, it, children make associations, maybe not even fully rationally. We set up situations in which we want them to experience good things in a way that is, that is, you know, enjoyable. We don't want to make the truly good things in their life to be something they dislike. You know, I remember Father Charles Abudi always liked to, to go around the church hall with some Tootsie Rolls in his pocket. And I thought, what a beautiful idea, because, you know, the children begin to associate with church this nice man who cared for them, and always had something nice, uh, sweet for them. And here the devil, he's not stupid. Here we, we go, we tell the kids, it's okay to dress up like the demons. And if you do that, you're going to get something nice. And we begin to associate these two lives. That it's somehow that this life is going to lead to, to what is truly fun, what is truly leads to happiness. And it's such a lie. It's a twist. You can see the fingerprint of the devil all over this. He doesn't come with a frontal attack. He just twists the truth. He twists the truth. And by twisting the truth, he draws us in until we become, uh, in some sense, happy to be like this man living among the tombs. Uh, I, I don't think I need to go any further with it, but I would say to those that are participating tonight uh, in, our, in our Bible study here today, be careful. Be careful what we're doing, what we're playing around with, because if we are Christians, then we have been given a newness of life. And that newness of life leads to a new, a truly a new way of life, new, new actions of the Christian. You know, St. John Chrysostom says, those who pursue this new creation will enjoy peace and goodness and truly deserve to be called by the name of the true Israel. But those who oppose it, even if they have been born of Israel and carried Israel's name with them, have fallen away from Israel and from that name and family. For those who can truly be Israelites are those who keep this rule, abstain from the old ways and pursue what belongs to grace. And let me conclude with this point is that how far off the mark Luther was in trying to, to claim that the works of the law were the actions of the Christian that somehow that the works of the law were simply this general condemnation of Christ and St. Paul of all human works. Of course, he saw us as, as Calvin, a good, good follower, student of Luther, really, ultimately interprets him, uh, that, that we are corrupt through and through, completely. And therefore, our actions can never lead 
to the kingdom of God. How far this is from the biblical concept, and as St. John Chrysostom points out, we abstain from the old ways, but not abstaining from, from works altogether. No, as St. Paul says in Galatians, we are now raised up to a newness of life through baptism, that we might pursue what belongs to grace, as St. John Chrysostom says. That the action of the Christian is, as you said, the actions of the true Israel of God. They are the actions of Christ himself. As St. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That every action of mine may be filled with the grace of God and may be in itself life-giving, which is why uh, maybe come to a conclusion here with the situation that we face in the next few weeks in our society is so dangerous to entice the Christian to somehow be convinced that he will find joy and happiness through actions which are contrary to the actions of Christ. We are made for, we are made a new creation for, a newness of life which results in a life of loving communion with God and loving communion with those around us. And no other type of life and no other type of action can lead to happiness and to eternal life. Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.